Well, what's up, Element Church? So glad that all of you are here with us today. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element. So thankful that you've chosen to spend some time with us today. I want to say thank you to our video audience as well here in the building, Facebook Live on our website. Uh, You guys are a part of our home, and we're glad that you are tuning in. If you're using Facebook Live, click that share button. It's a great way to spread what God's doing here at Element Church. Last Sunday, 11 a.m. service alone had 1.6 thousand views on that video, which I don't know if that's good, but it sounds fantastic. So yeah, so keep on helping us out there. That would be amazing. The video we just watched, there's a promo for an event we have coming up on Monday, January 30th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. called the Financial Learning Experience with Joe Sangle. And yes, he is really that energetic the entire time. Joe is the best communicator that you will ever hear, I believe, on how to win with money God's way. And so if you come to this event, there's free childcare and free dinner included as well. And you're going to learn things like basic financial budgeting, saving, etc., some higher level things like investments and how to plan for the dreams God has put in your heart. It's a, an amazing event. I learn something new every time. You will as well. I promise you won't be disappointed if you come. You can even try to count how many times he says fired up. It's going to be a lot because he is fired up. So you can sign up for that at the Next Steps uh, wall out there on the computers or on our website, elementchurchwy.com. We'd love to see you there for that event. Well, back in December, upstate New York was going through a pretty severe cold weather streak as much of our country has gone through recently. And on this particular day, the Hudson Police Department responded to a 911 call from a concerned citizen after they saw, the citizen saw what appeared to be an unresponsive elderly woman who they believed had frozen to death in the front seat of their car strapped into the passenger seat. So the police arrived, they observed the woman in the seat. Uh, She was not moving, not responsive to their request as well. So they broke into the car to attempt to save this woman's life. After smashing the window, checking her pulse, uh, they were relieved to find out this woman was not alive because she was not a woman at all. She was a life-sized, extremely realistic mannequin of an elderly woman strapped into the front seat of this car. And now you might be thinking, how could police officers mistake a mannequin for a human being? Here's a picture from the news article. It's kind of creepy how real this elderly lady looks sitting there. I don't know why it's strapped into the passenger seat of the car. What's crazy is the vehicle's owner returned and they were actually livid that police had taken action upon who they thought was this, you know, elderly woman in need. The owner of the car is a salesman for a medical training facility. The news article said that, uh, that, that this guy was not only vocal, but vulgar to the police officers for breaking his window to rescue this woman. And because of this misunderstanding, the police issued this following public statement to the community. Just to clear the record, All citizens of Hudson should be put on notice that if you park your locked vehicle on the street on a sub-zero night with a life-size mannequin in it, we will break your window. That's awesome. (laughs) 
that had to be said tongue in cheek because is there really that many instances of that happening that you need to put out a public statement? Now, the police were only doing the job that they had been put on this earth to do. And it was only considered damage because they misunderstand, uh, misunderstood who was inside the vehicle. And like last week, I said, when you misunderstand what something means, you can misuse what it is. And that's why we're doing this sermon series called Contentment, The Lie About Having More. Because no matter how much we say it or how much we believe it, more is never the answer to enough. It's a con in our lives. Now, I truly do believe that all of us desire to be content, but at the same time, all of us struggle to be content as well. We might struggle with it over different things, in different ways, at different levels, but all of us struggle with contentment. And I think at the core of our struggle is understanding what it means and how we get it. What does contentment mean? Talked about a lot about that last week. And then how do we get it? So here's another key thing we've got to understand about contentment. It's the big idea for today, so if you want to write it down, you can. It's on the screens as well, and it's this. Contentment is a practice in my life, not a place I get to in life. That contentment's a practice in my life, not a place that I get to in life. There is no standard of living. There is no relationship on this planet. There is no destination, whether it's with my job or, the, or, or where I live, that will give me contentment. It's not a place in my life. And this is how last week's message and this week's message kind of go hand in hand, okay? I believe it is the combination of the power of God and the practices in my life that will lead me to contentment. It's the power of God and the practices in my life that will lead me to contentment. Last week, we looked at three things we need to know about contentment. And I can't rehearse or go back through all of last week's message. So if you missed it and you want to hear it, or if you want to share it with somebody, you can do that through our Facebook page, our free church app, or on our website. You can get caught up or share our messages there. But we looked at uh, this guy named Paul. He's an apostle who wrote a letter to a group of Christians. We call it Philippians in the New Testament portion of the Bible. He wrote this letter from a prison cell where he was put there for preaching about Jesus. And in this prison cell, he said, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Whether it's plenty or little, I've learned the secret, he said, to contentment. And here's the secret. I told you this last week. Philippians 4, verse 13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. The secret to contentment is I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul was saying, you cannot be content, at least not prison content, without the power of God in your life. Now, if you're here today and you would say, I don't believe in God, man, we love it that you are here. And I hope that you will see in this message and, and next week's as well, that there are benefits to being content, whether you believe in God or not. That believing in God is not a prerequisite to being content. I just happen to believe 
that we will never get to the place where Paul was, okay? Being content in a prison cell with nothing but food and clothing and yet saying, I have everything I need and more. That's what Paul said in Philippians. We can't get there without the power of God in our lives. And here's the key. We can't stay there without the right practices in our lives. So what are the practices that lead to contentment? That's the big question we have for today. What practices lead to contentment? We're going to look at 1 Timothy 6. So if you have your Bibles or a way to follow along, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 11, then we'll read verses 17 through 19 as well. 1 Timothy is in the New Testament portion of the Bible. If you did not bring a Bible with you, but you have your phone or, or tablet, you can use the free YouVersion Bible app. We'll have it on the screens too, so don't worry. And then if you don't own a Bible, man, we'd love to give you one. Stop by guest services. We'll give you a free Bible today. If you ask for one, here's something super cool. In 2016, we gave away for free 653 Bibles. That's incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. So, now, some of you have 50 of those on your uh, coffee table, and we'd like some back. Just kidding. But you probably do. There's somebody that's like, I'll have a Bible every week. Yeah. Uh, but that's cool. We give away free Bibles. You can have as many as you want, but please make sure you put them to use. Uh, the same guy who wrote Philippians, uh, Paul, he also wrote 1 Timothy, and he once again wrote this letter from a prison cell to a young man named Timothy. Perhaps it was the same cell he was in when he wrote Philippians. We are not sure. But 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 6, says this. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, or in other words, this is why you should be content. We brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So, if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Contentment is a practice in my life, not a place I get to in life. So yes, I need the power of God, but the power of God, church, should produce some practices in us. Amen? God's power should produce practices in our lives. The first practice I see, and there's probably more than three today. There's going to be three for our, our message. But the first one I see based on this uh, passage here is I need to have the right perspectives. I need to have the right perspectives in life. Have you ever had, even as a Jesus-loving Christian, uh, one of those, I have had enough moments with someone, not, not a moment where, where you think you might blow a gasket, but a moment where you do blow a gasket on someone. Ever been there before? I've been there before. Like recently, I had this moment with my children. Okay, I know that I'm a pastor, I shouldn't do this, but I had an I have had enough moment with all of my children. One of those moments where I felt like I understood how some species can eat their young. Have you ever been there before? Okay, that's where, that's where I was. And to, to set up my, my blow my blow my gasket moment, I'm going to let you know some details. Recently, uh, last month and in, in early December, uh, we, re we decided to replace one of our televisions. Now, the reason this is important is the TV we were replacing held a special place in my heart. 
First of all, it was the very first flat screen TV we ever owned, okay? So we got this TV in January of 2007, 10 years ago. And for those of you who think, what's the big deal with a flat screen TV? This was when not every TV for sale was a flat screen TV. They still sold tube televisions in Walmart. If you don't know what a tube television is, ask your parent or grandparent. They'd be glad to tell you how we used to walk to the television to turn the channel. It will blow your ever-loving mind. So this was our first flat screen TV, okay? We, all we had was tube televisions in our, in our house. And a second thing why it's so important is this was a surprise housewarming gift from a family in Gillette when we were moving to Cheyenne. They allowed us to borrow their trailer, and so they dropped the trailer off at our house. I opened up the trailer to put our stuff in it, and there was a brand new flat screen TV strapped into this trailer. And so I called the guy and said, hey, what's the deal with this TV? And he said, as far as I know, it goes to your house in Cheyenne. I started crying, it was really bad. So anyway, here's a, here's a picture of me with my TV. That's awesome, okay? <laughs> It was, so, so that's the TV we're replacing now 10 years later. And the reason we were replacing it is about the last two years, the bottom half of the picture started to go out. So you'd have the top picture and not the bottom picture. And we learned that if you hit it just right on the back, the bottom would start working. So for the last two years, I was fine. As long as we could hit it and come back on, we'd keep this TV. So we got tired of hitting the back of the TV. And so we decided last month, it's time to ditch this TV that we have enjoyed and buy a new one. So we're shopping around. We find a great TV on sale uh, right after or right before Christmas uh, at Target. We bought it. It was a smart TV. And now like TVs are like just razor thin. They blow my mind, technology uh, on TVs. Now it's an awesome TV. Brought it home. Whole family now wants to watch a movie on our Brand, t brand new TV. So of course we stopped at Redbox, got a movie. But instead of waiting until the TV was ready, while I'm unpacking the box and doing all the work, my kids and my wife, they all gather in the family room. They're sitting on the couch and the chairs and I'm behind the TV. There's a thousand cords, taking the old TV down, putting the new one up, getting everything hooked up. And the longer it takes me, the more whiny and argumentative my children become. You've been there before, okay? So nothing gets me more worked up in my life than lack of gratitude in my children. And so I'm back there slaving away behind, you know, sweating behind this TV stand. And I start hearing things like this from my children. How much longer is it going to take, Dad? Are you done yet? Why didn't we get a bigger TV? I can't see where I'm sitting from. Jonah's in the seat I want. Why is Jonah in that seat? Jonah always gets the best seat. Is Jonah your favorite? And on and on and on and on. And I'm back there, and finally, I lost it. Okay, I lost it. I was like, I have had enough. I was like, do you realize? And they can't even see me. I'm just yelling from behind the TV. <laughs> it's the very first entertainment that TV ever gave us. I'm like, do you realize how many children don't even have a TV or a couch to sit on or a home to live in or a dad who loved them enough to sacrifice his hard-earned money to buy a TV? And it was just like crickets, man, just silent. <laughs> so not long after I said that, after I calmed down, <laughs> God just spoke to my heart, first of all, to convict me for yelling at my children. But God just spoke to my heart and said, Jeff, that's the wrong perspective to teach your kids about contentment. We do the same thing, by the way, when our kids don't eat all their dinner. Do you realize there are starving children in Africa? 
I don't know why they only starve in Africa, but it's the one country we go to, right? They're starving kids here too, but they're starving kids in Africa who would be glad to have this dinner. You should be thankful we even have broccoli in our house, right? And we think that's a good tactic, but that's the wrong perspective if we want to be content. We do it all the time. I'm guilty of it. I just shared my story with you, okay? Contentment is never found in comparison, even in the comparison of those who have less. Woo! Yeah, it might cause us to be more aware of the blessings we already have, but that's not where contentment's found. If I'm using comparison to find contentment, I might see someone who has less than me today and be thankful but then I'll see someone who has more than me tomorrow and be uncontent. We've made contentment a place in life. That if I'm here, I can be content because they are here. <laughs> Problem with that is then I start looking to here and I'm no longer content. Contentment's never found in comparison. It only comes from the right perspective So let's go back to what Paul said. Paul said godliness, that means the power and grace of Jesus in my heart, godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, he said, we brought nothing with us into the world and we can take nothing with us when we go. So basically, if I have anything besides what I brought into this world, I have enough. Or for Christians, okay, if you're not a Christian, it's not for you, but for Christians, it goes deeper than that. If all I have is Jesus, he's more than enough for me. Didn't we sing that? Saw lots of hands go up, mine did. Our voices sang out, Christ is enough for me. Unless there's a truck I see. (laughs) Or a raise for me. I can go on and on. I got lyrics all day long for that one. (laughs) All right, we sing it. He's enough. Yeah. Then we walk out and see someone who has more. And all of a sudden, he's no longer enough. Contentment's a practice in my life. Not a place, whether it's comparing to less or comparing to those who have more. That's why I got to have the right perspective. So what would happen if we woke up every morning and just said, God, I brought nothing with me into the world. I can take nothing when I go. So God, anything more than nothing is beyond what I deserve. I'd have a lot different perspective on my home, on my car, on my clothing, on my bank account. If I remember that I brought nothing and I take nothing, it's only what God gives me, and that's enough. Godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Then Paul continues, 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 11. But people who long to be rich, and in other words, people who compare themselves with those who have more, fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
Let me pause here because this is important. That means, this is very, very sobering to me, a lack of contentment with my life can lead to a lack of control in other areas of my life. That's sobering to me. And some people, Paul said, craving money, craving more, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I mean, this is heavy. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these things. Pursue. Everyone say pursue. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So the second practice I need to have contentment is this. I need to have the right pursuits in my life. I need the right pursuits in my life. I want you to notice here, okay, it is the longing for more, not having more, that leads someone to destruction. So money's not the problem. More is not the problem. Stuff is not the problem. Our desire for it is. That, that poverty, this is good, Poverty doesn't make you content any more than prosperity makes you greedy. It's not the amount of money that's the problem. It's my attitude towards it that is. That makes sense? It's my attitude toward more in my life. And I understand we're using money as kind of the main topic to talk about contentment. But these practices are based on principles that can be applied to every area of our life, relationally, physically, sexually, you name it. We need to have the right perspective and we need to have the right pursuits in our life. Now, money is what Paul was talking about here. It's the most common and relevant illustration to use for contentment. So I'm sticking with that uh, for this message and for this series. So let me ask us this question, me included. If someone who didn't know us, but I want you to say me in your mind to yourself, okay? So I'll say it to me. If someone who didn't know me were to look at how I handled money, listen to how I talked about money, and saw in my heart how I felt about money, what would they say are my pursuits? It's a good question. You guys, the same thing about relationships or about your physical life or your sexual life or your job life or your, where you live, what community you live in. Whatever. I mean, again, everything. You can ask yourself the same. What would they say if they saw how I felt? More than what I said, but saw in my, in my heart. Now, you might say, why does it matter how I pursue money? Why does it matter how I feel about money? What's the big deal? Well, not only do we have what Paul said here in 1 Timothy 6, which, as I said, is incredibly sobering, but Jesus said something very similar in Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, we have recorded what's called the parable of the sower, where Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed. And some seed falls on a footpath where birds take it away. Other seed falls on rocky soil, and it sprouts quickly, but because there's no root, the sun wilts it and it dies. Other seed falls on thorny soil, and the thorns grow and choke out the grain, uh, choke out the, the, the plant so no grain is produced, and others fall on good soil, and it produces a great harvest. And the soil I want to look at is the thorny soil, 
Because Jesus then in Mark 4, you should read it for yourself, Mark chapter 4, he explains the entire parable. And this was his explanation of the thorny soil. Mark 4, 18 and 19. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. So Jesus is telling us that our pursuit of stuff Our desire for more, our longing for money can be so strong that even in the life of a believer, it can stop us from bearing fruit. Wow. Wow. Notice, Jesus did not say the plant was dead. He said it was fruitless. That's scary scary. That the thorns grow up, the lure, desire for more, that thorns grow up in our life. And while we might be a living plant, can choke out our fruit. Church, I want to get to a place where I can say, I'd rather be a fruit-bearing soul for Jesus than a wealthy one that has no fruit. I want to get there. Why? Because the only thing I can take with me from this life to the next is lasting spiritual fruit that God produces through my pursuits. It's the only thing I can take. That I brought nothing with me, can take nothing with when I go. Physically, spiritually, I can take a harvest to my home. That yes, I need the power of God, but the power of God should produce some practices in my life that I should see things with the right perspective. That God, I brought nothing with me, can take nothing with me, so anything beyond nothing is more than I deserve. Every day, God, thank you for giving me everything that I have in my life. I should have the right pursuits. And man, as I was preparing this message, I'd just been praying over my own life, Jesus, I want to pursue you. I want want to pursue your ways financially. I want to pursue your ways physically. I want to pursue your ways physically and sexually and relationally and emotionally. Why? Because I want fruit to be born in my soul. And the only way I produce fruit is if I don't let those thorns grow up in my life. And those thorns come from a desire for more. God help us. God help us. So jump to verse 17 now, 1 Timothy 6. Paul says this, and before we read it, I will remind you that if you live in America, about 99.9% of us fall into the category of rich, okay? Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment, Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, by by being generous, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true 
life. So the third practice I need in my life is I need to have the right plan. I need to have the right plan. Now here's something we have to think about as Christians. And again, if you're here and not a Christian, you are off the hook for this, okay? You are. But as a Christian, we gotta think about this. Maybe God hasn't given me, maybe God hasn't given me money to expand my kingdom, but to build his. Now, that does not mean that we shouldn't spend any of the money God gives us on things in our life. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just asking, what's my plan? To build God's kingdom through generosity from what he has given me. Because everything I have comes from him. Everything. It all belongs to him. It's not mine. I'm a manager of what he gave me. So what's my plan? Do you have one? Do you have a plan for what God's given you? Isaiah 32 verse 8. Love this verse. But generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. They plan it and then they do it. Now why is this so important? How how does generosity relate to contentment? Well, here's how. We're all born selfish. Selfishness leads to greed, and greed leads to uncontentment. And do you know how you starve greed? Generosity. You starve greed through generosity. The generosity starves greed, and it feeds contentment. That's why Jesus says, more blessed to give than to Receive. So if you want greed to grow in your life, don't have a plan to be generous. If you want contentment to grow in your life, you better have a plan. And if you want to know where you're at with your plan, here's the question that you ask. What's the first thing I do when I get paid? What's the first thing I do when I get paid? If honoring God financially through his church and being generous to those in need is not the first thing you do when you get paid. Your plan is out of whack. It's out of whack. You are not in alignment with what God would say is the right plan if that's not the first thing you can do. Now, you can give money away and not be content. But you cannot be content and not give money away. (laughs) That when you're content, you'll be generous. And when you're generous, it will lead to contentment. So where are you at? Where are you at when it comes to a plan to be generous? And does God want you to take one more step? Some of you have taken giant leaps financially recently, and I'm so proud of you. Like as Pastor Andy said earlier, you are an incredibly generous church, and I want you to know that. But I know Okay, for some of us, this might be confirmation. For others, this might be conviction, okay? And I know there are some people here today, you know it's time to start being generous because you're not. Generous to God through his church and generous to those in need. It's time to start. I believe, I truly do believe this, that there will be someone here today God's been working on your heart to start tithing. Tithing is the biblical principle 
of returning back to God the very first 10% of everything he gives us through our income, okay? Somebody here today, you know that's you. And you are saying, I'm not sure I can, and I will take you back to Philippians 4.13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Listen, God will never ask you to do what he has not determined to enable you to do. And God has asked us to tithe. He has. Now, for some of you that's like, you're now closing me out because I use the word tithe, okay? Throw that out and let me say this. If you're not giving anything to God or anything to those in need, would you start somewhere? That maybe the leap from zero to 10% is like, holy buckets, what do I do? So can you start somewhere? Can you start somewhere? Because just like last week I said contentment is a process, giving is a process as well. It's a process. And I understand that for a lot of people, like for me, my wife and I, we have never not tithed. I have never in my life not tithed. It was just ingrained to me as a child that we honor God by giving back to him the first 10%. So I understand for me, it was just something I did. It's, it's something that, that I don't have a question doing. But for others, you've not been raised that way. And so for you, this is a giant discipleship step in your life. And I really do believe it's discipleship. So would you start somewhere? Would you give something? For those who are, are giving something, can you move from giving something to giving planned things? Like maybe it's time to do some percentage giving, 5%, 7%. Maybe it's time for 10%. Back to God. You're not giving to me. When you give to the church, you're not giving to the church. You're giving to God through the church, okay? So maybe it's time for you to do that. I don't know. All I, all I want, I want all of us to grow in our giving, me included. So I just want you to ask, God, where am I at? in this plan, and where do you want me to go? Let's all take another step. Let's all just take one more step. And I know that for a lot of people, what's keeping you from being generous is not a desire. It's the know-how. You don't know how to give because you have never had a plan, okay? And so shameless plug, if that's you, you should walk right out these doors when we're done and sign up for the FLE. Because there, Joe's gonna teach you in the most fun, enthusiastic, practical way how to plan every dime that God gives you. And it will change your life if you do that. It'll change your life. So what are the practices of contentment? Well, I need the right perspective. I need the right pursuits but if I don't have a plan, I need the right plan. If I don't have a plan, then none of that matters. So what's our next step in our plan to be generous with what God's given us? I love you guys. This, message, this series has been really good for me personally. I hope it's been good for you as well. We're going to finish it up next week and then move on to a new series. Let me pray for you. And then Pastor Andy's got some closing words. God, I love the fact that in the Bible, you teach us very practically about every area of our life, including contentment. So Lord, help us to move now from where we are to having the right perspectives, the right pursuits, and the right plan. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.